Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Welcome to church. It's great to have you. When we're continuing our series, we've been working through the book of Ephesians through a theme called the Gospel Lens. We're looking at how does life really look for us as New Testament believers when this gospel of uh, Jesus' death, uh, resurrection and ascension really takes root in our life because what that did is open a gateway to what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 1 as the deposit of the Spirit coming and living with us. He's saying, God, the sacrifice that Jesus made means that he is now able to dwell with you. Even though you still uh, fall short in your daily life, we still do things that we shouldn't be doing. Uh, God's not scared away by that now because Jesus, uh, the price that he paid on the cross means that he can dwell with us because of that redemptive power of the cross. It's an incredible thing. And uh, humanity for so many thousands of years would have done anything to live with God himself dwelling with us, empowering us in our life. So Paul says this changes everything. It changes the way we live. It changes what matters to us. And so today we're moving into Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, Paul here just brings some landmark principles out. Some of the statements he makes are just as good as it gets. So we're going to focus in on a couple of those this morning. And we're looking at the whole idea of how grace and faith and our works work together in this thing we call the Christian life. Is it all about doing? Is it all about just waiting and receiving? Or is it all about faith? So let's peel down into that. And I want to start that first from Ephesians uh, chapter 2 in the early verses where Paul starts creating a polarized view. He's saying based on all the things we've talked about, the salvation, the spiritual blessings, all the things that we have, he's saying you've got to re remember that you've gone from one life to another life. And that life is, is not just a different way to see things. It's a life of differing authority. Let's pick it up in Ephesians 2 verse 1. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So he's saying there, we were once under a different authority. We had no uh, choice in the matter. And even when we were born, we weren't guilty of uh, an action yet, but we, were, we still carried guilt. We, we inherited the guilt. And so once that's dealt with, that we come under a whole different sort of authority. He's saying here very clearly, if you look at what's happened, he's saying there's an, uh, a transfer of authority. You were under the authority of the evil one. You are living according to the world. You are living according to this uh, spirit of the air, he says. And it's, it, it just makes it plain. We have an enemy and we are living under the authority of that enemy. But now we're lifted up. Now we're seated with Christ. So now we're beyond that lower level of authority and we're up seated. It's positional statements here. He's saying you're not seen as being under that authority now. You're seen as being under the authority of Christ, a higher authority. That's the authority now as his co-heirs that we carry. So he's making that very clear. There's, there's a whole binary shift that's happened in our life. We can choose to live as if that never happened, but we've been granted access to that higher authority and to live from it. And it can and should be changing a lot about our life. So let's move on and pick it up in verse 6 of Ephesians chapter 2. He says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
So he's saying you've been taken out from that positional authority and you've been now seated with Christ under that higher throne. But the interesting uh, term he uses there is, is why. He's saying that uh, God may show the heavenly realms. And uh, it's an interesting term in the Greek. He's saying uh, it's not just the fact that he wants to display something. The word to show is one, one called in the Greek endikonumi. It's a very hard one to say, but it means to put on display. It's, it's a way of showing a trophy. It's to put on display as a trophy the grace of God working in your life. And he's holding it up and saying, he's looking at your life and he's holding you up in the heavenly realms uh, in front of all the evil spirits that are there, in front of the angels. And he's saying, look at what grace looks like. Look at what it looks like when I get hold of a life and it's transformed. And so who's he doing that to? Well, he makes clear in uh, later in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, that it's to the rulers and authorities. So he's talking there about those evil realms. He's saying, you thought that they couldn't do it. Uh, you thought that my grace was never going to be enough. You, you, you thought that if they were left to themselves, they would never come back. You thought that I couldn't empower their life. But look at what I've done. Look at what grace looks like in the lives of human beings. And this answers a much greater question because we often ask ourselves, what's the purpose of life? And there are many layers to the answer of that. Um, but Satan has come in since Genesis chapter 3. He's come in and he's questioned the sufficiency of God in the human life. We were designed to live from God's sufficiency. But he came to Eve in Genesis 3 and, and he said, did God really say that? He doesn't want you to be like him. God is not enough for you. That's the basis of his argument, saying God alone is not enough. You need to eat from this tree so you'll have the knowledge of uh, good and evil. He's saying sufficiency from God alone will never make it. And that's the argument that he's always put. If you look at the book of Job, for example, in the Old Testament, Job presents himself to God again and, and, and it's like, oh, look at this Job. Job's only following you. Look how blessed he is. He's only following you because of all you've done in your life. If, if that wasn't there, he wouldn't do it anymore. And God says, well, let's take a look. Let's see how that works out. And you see Job's life fall apart and yet grace comes in and he declares in the later parts of the book, even if God were to slay me, he says, yet I'll praise him. Grace is bigger than the circumstance. And so right throughout human history, you see this common theme where Satan comes and he challenges the, the presumption that God is enough. And, and he's saying here in Ephesians, Paul is saying here that this is proof. He's showing up as a trophy. You and I, we are now the example that answers that eternal question of is God enough? Yes, he is enough. We are the trophy of that grace. So it's an incredible significance about what's going on. It's not just about you. It's not just about whether life goes easy for you or not, because the bigger question needs to be answered through you and through myself is, is God enough? Can I tap into grace that gets me through any circumstance? So that's our purpose to reveal grace. But what is grace? What, how do we define grace? Uh, there's a lot of limiting definitions of that out there that says uh, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. And, and that's a facet of grace. Grace is like a diamond that has many facets, many descriptions. Salvation. Uh, comes by grace. And yet, so do other things. The, the gifts of the Spirit are called grace gifts in the Greek. They're, they're using that same terminology. And grace is a very interesting term. It's, it, it always has been. The word charis, which is the Greek word uh, that we find in the New Testament, the original transcripts, uh, means God's empowering presence. But our word that we say now, grace, actually comes from the Latin. The Latin word, uh, a combination of gratia or gratia, um, which means 
favor, to receive favor. And another word like it called gratis, gratis, which means free. So it's like free favor. So they've taken the Greek word, added a bit of Latin meaning to that. And that's where we get this idea of grace as being unmerited favor. It comes very much from that Latin inference that comes from it. But in the original Greek, it's a little bit deeper again, uh, because favor is definitely an element of grace. that we need. To, it's one of those facets. But it, the, the pure Greek definition is either God's holy influence on souls. If you look up a lexicon, for example, you'll find it says uh, God's holy influence on souls or a book like Strong's Concordance says a divine influence on the heart. So this is much deeper. This is saying this isn't just favor where uh, things you're, you're let off the hook or, or things are done for you. It, it's really meaning there's, a, there's an external influence, God is coming into your life and it's bringing about a change of heart. That's what grace is. Gordon Fee made a, a, a fantastic uh, volume, really a tome, uh, explaining this. And he defines it at the end of the day. He looks through every passage in the New Testament and his summary is this. Grace equals God's empowering presence. It's his presence in your life. So it's more than salvation. Salvation is an act that results from grace. But grace is God's presence in your life, giving you everything that you need to live. And so it's God's grace in our life that can fuel the Christian life. So to be a trophy of grace, what does that mean? It means you're living from God. His grace is sufficient for you, no matter what the circumstances say, that he holds you up and says, this is what it can look like when these people believe I'm sufficient for them. So it makes us ask a question of our own life. What's, what trophy am I at the moment? What, what sort of trophy am I giving God to, to show up? Is grace really a part of my life? Am I waiting for things to go my way before I know the joy that he offers? Or is my greatest moment when life seems to conspire against me and yet still I can live from the depth of what he supplies and he holds up that trophy and says, look what grace can do in a life right in the midst of hardship. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. And so grace in every moment, no matter what type of moment it is for your life, is a potential trophy moment. It's a potential moment where God can lift you up in heaven and say, look at what grace can do in a life. See, we can't really look at our lives and define it in terms of external blessing and say, this is what favor looks like. Because it's almost like saying, see this blessing of my life, that's what God's favor looks like. Because if we define it that narrowly, what we're saying is if someone doesn't seem to have circumstantial favor, then they don't know grace. That's that's the inference that we bring from it. Um, But good or bad circumstances do not equate to what is grace or favor. I know many people in many nations of the world, particularly the ones I know in Africa, and they have nothing. Nothing seems to go right for them. They know a lot of sickness and trouble and death all around them all the time. And yet they live completely from the provision of God's grace. They are, just as much as you and I, a trophy of grace, possibly more, obviously. Paul says really clearly in Philippians 4, 12 to 13, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I love that term, God who gives me strength. What is that strength? Grace. It is God who gives me grace, whether I have plenty or whether I have want. I have everything that I need. The lack or the presence of abundance and blessing 
made no difference to him. It, made, it was no implier of the level of grace being lived from. And so this is a great leveler in our life. It just takes, it redefines the way we look at things. Because if I think that external blessing and things going well for me, that equals grace. How do I describe the woman who's had 10 miscarriages in a row? Is that a woman who can't know or doesn't know the grace of God? Far from it. How else can they survive that sort of circumstance? Or as, as I've seen as a pastor where you attend the funeral of, of, a, of a young woman and there's a father and young kids there and they love God and always have and they've, they've traveled that journey together with God through the middle of their mourning and their grief. Is that a situation without grace? It's a situation abounding in grace. How else can you survive that? And so these are all trophy moments. These are, I think, our finest moments. Our finest moments are where life seems to conspire completely against us and yet we still overcome with God's favour and God's grace in our life. We overcome despite what's happening to us. That's grace. That's trophy moments. I remember in recent years where there's just, and you may have experienced a similar thing where you're used to things working for you. you. You know what you're doing. You do your job. You have levels of competence and it just seems it comes right for you. But now and again, you'll have a situation as I did, where I, I remember I was, I'd ploughed in nearly two years of hard work, the very best, the, the longest hours I could do, the best of my skills and, and all the stuff into this one situation. And it was just falling flat. It was going nowhere. And I just remember saying to my wife, I can't remember a time in my life where I've worked so hard for so long and had it fail so completely. And yet I remember that season as one of the richest moments in my life. Never have I prayed more, never had I, have I had a clearer sense of God working in me and through me and giving me joy right in the midst of that sort of darkness. These are our trophy moments. So don't look at darkness and wilderness seasons as a time where grace is gone. It's quite the opposite. We have a value around our church where we use a term that says the presence of God is in every season of life. Because I've seen lots of miracles. I've, I've seen lots of incredible things where God just does powerful work in people's lives, uh, transformation of souls, saving marriages, healings, miracles, seen lots of that sort of thing. But I've also seen, as you may have, so much darkness, so much trouble in people's lives. Whether it's good or bad is no reflection on the presence of grace. So we believe that God's with us. His presence is with us through every season of life. That's the sort of church we're forming up here. We have room for complicated stories. We have, we have room for people who are going through hardship over long periods of time. And we know God's with you through every moment of that. There is never a time where we lose hope, never a time where we're absent from God's favour and his grace. And so Paul goes on, and let's move on, because what happens next is a crucial moment and a crucial turn in what he says. It's uh, verse 8 of chapter 2. He says, For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, let's just pause there for a moment, because he's saying that we've been saved by grace uh, through faith. So salvation has nothing to do with our works. And yet he says it's through faith. Grace comes through almost a doorway of faith. And yet it's not of works. And so this becomes a quandary of people because we've got to, people would think, well, it's grace plus nothing. You may, you may have heard that term before, grace uh, plus nothing. In other words, we live by grace, which obviously is true, but there's nothing else. There's nothing we can contribute to that because when we talk about contribution, we're thinking in terms of works, of earning righteousness, of earning God's favour and so on. 
we're, which obviously we can't do. So in that sense, it's true. It's grace plus nothing. But Paul is really clear here. Salvation comes through faith. So what is faith? Is faith a work? Uh, how do we define that? And I think we've got to be very careful to say faith is not a work. Faith is an act of will. And we've got to separate will from works because grace is available to everybody, but not everybody lives from grace. Salvation is available from everyone, but not everyone gets saved. And so there is a universality about grace, but there's not a universality of our ability to live from grace. There's not a universality about salvation. There's something in the middle. There's a doorway called faith. And it's not a work. It's not something we can boast about, but it's us saying, yes, I'm relying on this grace. And so this becomes a whole different way of looking at it because the level of my faith or the way I operate from faith will determine in some ways how I access the grace that God's got for me. And this can be very unsettling for us to, to, to wrestle with this whole conversation. And there are, there's exceptions to the rule. I'm giving you a general principle here, but sometimes God just does things without us intervening. He, he takes care of a situation before we even know it's there. Absolutely, he has the right and prerogative to do that. But he will never take away your free will. And faith is a, an action of our will. We are making a decision to rely on him rather than to rely on ourselves. And so in many ways, faith becomes a doorway. And this then has implications because not just for salvation, where I'm obviously placing my faith in Christ, but what about day to day? What about my ability to live by faith every day? Because that has implications on how I'm appropriating grace into my life on a day-to-day basis. So it's a human response without being a human effort. Now, you'll notice that not everyone works in God's empowering presence. Not everyone lives from grace, even though they're saved day-to-day. And it's often it's because we don't understand the, how crucial it is to exercise and grow our faith. So you see Romans 12, 6, Paul says, use your gifts, use the gifts of the Spirit in proportion to your faith. In other words, the implications there are, if you have more faith, the gifts of the Spirit, grace gifts, are going to work more powerfully in our life. Jesus in Mark chapter 9 said what he would often say, he was frustrated, he'd say, oh, you unbelieving generation, saying to his disciples, he's talking, those who have been authorized, those who've seen miracles, they've cast out demons, they've healed the sick, they couldn't fix this boy. He goes, you're, you're lacking belief and expected. Jesus never really uh, confused this. He never condoned the doubts that we all carry. His, his expectation was that we would believe. When uh, in John chapter 6, the Pharisees come to him and they say, what is, it that, what is it that God requires of us? He said, believe, just believe. And so we need to work out how we're leaning on God through this belief to live a life of faith. Because it's when we believe, it's when we live by faith, that God's plans unfold. Let's have a look at what Paul says in the very next verse. So he's laid the foundation. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works. Then he says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're his handiwork. We're created to do works. We can read that verse in isolation and go, I've got to get back to work. I've got to do this thing in my own strength. But he's saying this leaning on the verse before, saying faith is what gives us access to grace. He's saying there's grace available. We open the door to that through faith. And then grace can't help but overflow into the good works that he's predestined for us to do. He's prepared them in advance for us to do. And so faith leans into grace and then deeds can't help but happen as an overflow from that grace. 
The New Testament writers have a few ways of defining this. Paul had a favourite term in, you'll find in Romans 5, uh, 1, 5 and 16, 26. He defines it as the obedience that comes from faith. He's saying once you believe, you can't help but have that carry on to become uh, an obedient life where we follow the works. They, they come naturally rather than as an obligation. James uh, chapter 2, he goes right over this over and over and over. And he just says, look, you try to have a conversation about faith or deeds. He says, I'll show you my faith. And that will, that will exemplify itself in deeds. And so Jesus could say, just believe. If there's one thing that uh, Jesus would prioritize for us to live as our, as our thing that we grow in, it's not how much we know, as important as that is. It's not what we do, as important as that is. It is to believe. It's to believe. He's just said, just believe. Because if we believe, we're accessing more and more of his grace and we're living the works that come from that. See, faith does something in us that inspires us to act. So many times I've been in a room where uh, it's, it's one of those rooms where I call it a cold room. It's just there's not a lot of faith there. There's not a lot of uh, people expecting that God's going to be doing something or anything like that. But then you start to share this sort of uh, process from Scripture. You start to do a teaching on the prayer of faith that James talks about, where he says, you know, we'll come together and, and when God will speak and God will guide us and we'll pray and, and God will raise the person up. If we really start to unpack that and we let Scripture speak for itself, because it's so clear on all this, then we say, why don't we do that now? Why don't we just pray? And you start to see uh, people inspired by faith to do what they were not prepared to do just the day before, just the hour before. And we start to see healings. We start to see lives transformed. You just can't underestimate the power of the difference that faith makes in the heart of God's people. And so it behoves all of us to create an environment that welcomes faith. It happens more uh, when God's people come together. I'd love to say that it can happen through the video screen, and it does. People still receive God's blessing just by watching this and believing. But something happens when you come into the room. This is why uh, we love meeting on a Sunday live. Online presence is great, but you can't, you can't uh, replicate what happens when we get together in what I call the synergy of faith. One plus one equals a thousand. When God's people come together, each with a, a seed in there. And some might be in the room who lack faith altogether. And yet there's enough people in that room to make the difference, to have this tipping point of faith where we can just start to pray and then others begin to grow faith and then more and more happens. It's incredible what can happen in those sort of uh, situations. We've seen it at church services. We've seen it at retreats. We see it all the time. All God's people need sometimes is a testimony of what God has done. And we go, Father, yes, you can do that again. You can do it in me. So never, never fall into the trap of despising uh, or uh, minimizing the power of a room full of faith. Sometimes we say, well, that's just emotionalism because sometimes it can look that way. And sometimes it is. And yet we can't just do what Paul describes as uh, despising prophecy or, or quenching the Spirit's fire. Because faith is something we need to foster and grow and make room for in each other's lives. I'd rather lean into faith than lean into unbelief because more just happens in a room where there's faith. And so if we could wrap up today, we're really just saying that faith is leaning into God and leaning onto what he said for him to give us what we need to live as these trophies of grace. So my question for you today is what grace do you need? What is it in your life? You just need God to come through. We may default in responding to that by saying, well, I need a circumstance to change or I need someone else to change. But go a bit deeper. What grace do you need that means that you can overcome, whether it's a dark day 
or a light day? What grace do you need? How can his grace be sufficient for you to overcome? Do you need joy? Do you need hope? Do you need strength? Do you need counsel? The New Testament promises all of those things. He'll give you the wisdom you need. He'll give you exactly what you need to get through the situation uh, and not let necessarily raise you above that situation by changing it. He wants to raise you above to be seated with Christ. So inside you've overcome, regardless of what happens on the outside. So let me pray for you now and pray that God himself would reveal that grace to you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that no matter where each person is sitting, no matter who they're with, Father, I pray that you would plant a seed of faith within them. Lord, we carry on the prayer that we started last week, Lord, that you would reveal through a spirit of wisdom and revelation the hope to which we are called. Lord, I pray that you'd also bless them with a sense of uh, the reality of your grace. Lord, I pray that you would show them the facets of your grace that are a perfect fit for the situation each one has. Father, give us the grace to believe. Sometimes we can't even prime the pump of belief. So Lord, will you give us the gift of faith that can start that process rolling in our life? Lord, show us your grace. Let it work in each person's life. Let them live from your power and be a trophy of grace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so that's basically it from me for this week. But uh, I hope you can really take a moment now to go to our website in, on the link that's shown on the screen and watch the application video, just a short summary and then an application through some questions about what we've discussed to see how you can land that in your life. There's some downloads there so you can have a, a bit of a sheet in front of you. Use it to get discussion flowing or your own quiet times through the week. We've done that for you and I know plenty of people are enjoying that. So bless you again and we'll see you next week.